Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hey, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Today, something different. And I do say that every time, but really, this today, this episode, this could be different because with us is Steve Prentice. And Steve's going to talk about all sorts of unusual technology type things. He's got a really fascinating background in psychology and business and technology and all, and, and all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. It's just, look, let's, I'll stop yapping and I'll let Steve introduce himself. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Well, I'm great, Russell. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I'm fascinated by the topics that you've had on the podcast going forward. So I'm just looking forward to contributing to that as well uh, by speaking about resilience from the standpoint of people and technology, because that's the area that I live in. Uh, I've been doing this since my university days. As you said, I mean, psychology is my um, professional and academic background. And I've always wanted to understand how people manage technology and the change that comes along with this. And I can trace this right back to the very, you know, the first couple of jobs I had while I was still a student. This is going back 30 years when Windows, Microsoft Windows and the mouse were a new thing. This is before the internet. And even back then, I was noticing that people were having trouble understanding how their computers worked. You know, there's, there's a disconnect between how engineers built computers and how people use them, which comes from a lineage of engineering. Nothing wrong with that, but when it connects with the average person, there's a gap. So I noticed this gap, and it has continued to this day, uh, people struggling to understand technology. And so going from you know, how to use a mouse, and believe, me, believe it or not, I actually had stand-up seminars back then on how to use Windows and how to use a mouse, because nobody understood what they were, right through to today, where the topics now are how to understand blockchain and Bitcoin, or how to understand cybersecurity, or as I call it, cyber hygiene as an individual. I mean, most of us now continue to be working from home. Hopefully that might change in the near future, but a lot of us have been sent right home. Uh, But very few are aware of of the severe um, security issues around your home router, your home connection to the internet and its relationship to your place of employment. And these things are they immediately look to be overly, complica- overly complex and complicated, and I just can't handle all this stuff. And so my little niche has been, let's look at how this stuff works. Let's see how humans and technology can interact. And uh, obviously for your betterment or your, your enjoyment of life. So some of it is mechanical, you know, how to use, how to change passwords in an easy way. 
but a lot of it is also intellectual, understanding the nature of change and, and how we can feel comfortable with change moving forwards. So that's why I put the stamp of resiliency on this as how do we survive a, a very exponentially changing world mm. that is driven by technology? And, and the short answer is you can. Uh, we are able to do this, but not enough attention is given to that transition between launching technologies and then having people embrace them to their own benefit. And so that's fascinating. I mean, you know, um, you can spot you're a professional speaker because that was uh, a brilliant. No, and you've given me about 27 things I can unpack. So we've got at least 11 podcasts to sort this out in. So sadly, 25 minutes. So let's get going. So now where do I start? Uh, let me start at the change bit then. So you know, human beings have had tools all their lives and technology is just another tool. Um, and I suppose the point has always been that we've had time to adapt. And I mean, is, is the beginning of this change challenge just the speed of technological transformation? Yes, it is, because as human beings, we have spent 100,000 years evolving into what we are now as thinking people, homo sapiens. Uh, but the speed of the change that we've seen in the last 25 to 30 years has overtaken our capacity to use it correctly. A couple of simple examples, one, one physical, being the, the computer screen that you may be looking at when you're you know, watching a podcast or watching something on YouTube uh, or even on your phone. Uh, you may have already heard about the, the blue light that has emerged from these. Now, this is not any sort of paranoid conspiracy. This is just purely physics, that your, your brain, your ancient brain, uh, for most of our living existence, the only light you saw at night was the, the stars, uh, the occasional fire somewhere, and the reflected light from the moon. That was it. So in, in the age of electricity that we have now, I mean, gas lighting in the previous centuries, but the artificial lights that we have now post-sunset are still tricking the ancient part of the brain, the, the medulla oblongata, the piece at the very base, to say, oh, the sun's coming up. Mm. And once it thinks that, no matter what you think intellectually, instinctively, your body starts to switch around its chemistry. And so the, the hormones of sleep, called melatonin, um, is, is immediately started to be uh, diluted as soon as it perceives the sun is coming up at 11 p.m. So these, these kinds of things, we haven't learned how to process the signals from the technology, both in terms of light and other mechanical things, but also the, the um, information itself. I mean, how many people do you know who are compelled to respond to an email or a text message the moment it comes in. I mean, this yeah. is something that we just feel this need to do. And that, again, is because of a false urgency that speaks directly to the instinct uh, of, of the fear of the unknown. So something comes in, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a job-related thing or please pick up milk on your way home. The message is urgent on an instinctive level. So we haven't got past that. And you may think those are trite examples, but you can translate that directly to malware and, and um, all the cyber crimes we see right now as people get uh, their hospitals and their other organizations locked up under ransomware. Not because cyber criminals are brilliant at uh, knowing how to drill into your company's servers. They're not. They are good at tricking that weak human mind into clicking a link that downloads malware because... They either know or they just have stumbled across the, the fact that human beings are both innately trusting and also dominated by reflex, the reflex of fear. Yeah, and that's fascinating. I mean, the point you're making about melatonin in the blue screen is really interesting, isn't it? Because you'll, you'll hear people talking about this um, tiredness that they have when they're working all day, all day, all day, all day. They don't get that 
they don't get the natural gradations of light when they go out and, and, and they go into the countryside. You don't get that subtlety of light playing in different places. You get this relentless glare from a screen. And you'll see people who will say, and, and eye contact moves and changes as well, and eye fixations and such like happens. And eyes stay open longer, so they get drier and such like, don't they? And then people can't wonder why they're tired. Because actually you're tired because your, your brain has been literally fried in a sort of way it's been fried because of the lack of melatonin. And you're right, you know, the, I mean, everything from Facebook to, as you say, um, cyber criminals are, you know, trading on this, 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 well, it's a, it's a new form of bias. I mean, Kahneman didn't mention it, but it's, you know, it's, it's just excitement bias, isn't it? This, this, ooh, excitement, you know, let me click on this thing. And, and all rationality goes straight out the window when you get a link. And even when you know it can't be true, um, it, you know, I mean, sometimes you, are, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll click it just for puke. It's like the old, um, you know, the old benches used to have in parks that used to say, please do, it used to say wet paint. And next to the wet paint sign were pictures of people's fingerprints where they'd actually pressed the paint just to check whether the paint was wet. And we're still doing that. There's an innate curiosity which the human mind has. Um, and it's very easy to play to that. And, 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 and it's interesting that you say that cyber criminals use something as simple as that. It, it's a, yeah, <laughs> the, the wet paint one is a classic. And, and this is, yeah. it is exactly the same thing. It's that just even this morning, I got another email from somebody that said, hi, I'd like to work at your company. Uh, my resume is attached. Password is one, two, three, four. And my point, you know, in speaking to you today is that you, people should have the presence of mind to say, no, this is junk and delete it without ever falling prey to it. Um, that might be common sense to some people by now, but of course, the, the criminals have moved forwards with what's called spoofing, in which the, the email can look like it's directly coming from Russell. Yes. And uh, everything about it looks legitimate. Yeah. Uh, your uh, elderly parents, for example, who came from a, a more trusting generation might receive these text messages on their phone that say, uh, you owe this much tax and the yeah. tax authorities are coming after you. They're sending someone to arrest you. Yeah. And the, 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 the fear and panic that comes from the fact that they don't have, and this is not only for that particular generation, but people generally don't have the capacity to, to think second thoughts, critical thinking, uh, to, to, to not fall prey to this. So that's why I see this as a resiliency concept. Um, the future of work people, of which I'm one, and looking forward to what, what, the, what the work scenario has in the next five years and 10 years. Mm. One of the, the key and most common concepts is the soft skills, capacities for things like empathy and critical thinking, because certain mechanical um, procedures are being overtaken by robots. I mean, artificial intelligence robots can do things like book your air, airline for yeah. you. You know, that, that is gonna change some industries. But the capacity to think critically, no matter what line of work you're in, it's not just simply a traditional office work, but anything is to keep your business safe and sane by being able to use these soft skills. Mm. So once again, this is future forward resiliency in, in mind and in, in, in practice. When you receive a questionable email, every email should be questionable. When you buy new technology, the excitement of opening the box and getting it plugged in, whether it's a new computer or a nice smart doorbell or a drone, which I personally would love to get, uh, they are all uh, intelligent technologies that are speaking to somebody somewhere. Yeah. So, so people who can evolve fast enough to keep pace with the demands of the technology, plus at the same time, keep uh, in mind the, the hard written rules of your physical physiological self are the ones who are destined to succeed. So, you know, uh, so not wanting to keep this conversation solely on technology, one of the biggest 
complaints or uh, comments that I get from people that I work with regarding working from home is that they continually get interrupted. They get book boxed into so many meetings, so many Zoom meetings are scheduled for them. Mm. And my question is always, why? Why are you getting boxed into so many meetings? Who's booking these things against your will? Because this was a standard problem at, back at the office. Yeah. And why is it happening in your home office? Uh, and the point, again, is not the technology now. It's the capacity to relate to those who are making the bookings, to establish relationships, whether it's your manager, your customers, your colleagues. The capacities to influence others and to relate to them is your most powerful weapon in balancing your time in a way that is manageable to you. And these, again, are human skills that people need to uh, practice and develop. It, you can't rely, let's say, on an automatic calendaring system to keep your day in order. And I always tell people, your calendar should not be telling you what to do. Your calendar should be your, your opportunity to tell others what you are doing and when you are and are not available. And I like to use uh, analog examples of this. And a restaurant menu is one of the best. So if you'll indulge me just a couple of minutes here. When you go to a restaurant, you sit down, you think you are basically, you know, the, the, the royalty, the guest. You are here to choose whatever you'd like to eat, and you are in charge. But in actual fact, if you know anybody who runs a restaurant, I mean, they buy a certain amount of food. And we're talking pre- and post-COVID here. You go to a physical restaurant. Um, they buy a certain amount of food in order to stay, you know, to, to minimize spoilage and to maximize profitability for the week. And they, then they build a menu around what they have bought. And so basically that menu is not your ticket to total freedom of choice. It's a matter of saying, here's what you can eat. Choose from these three things. So it's an actual flipping around where the restaurant menu, uh, manager or owner and chef together are, are controlling your choice, but making you feel like you are in control. Now, I don't mean any of this in any sort of manipulative or sinister underhanded way, but what I'm saying is my calendar, and you may have, uh, you know, I mean, you and I, when we're looking to connect here, we do the same thing. We use an online calendar that for me as your guest tells me, uh, gives me some choices as to when I would like to be able to speak with you. But what you are doing as my host is telling me only the times that are convenient for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, time zones are an issue, but so is the rest of your day, the days you, you the other time you need to do other things. So this is an influence tool where my calendar is the same. There are hours where I'm available and willing to take bookings from customers. And there are hours when I cannot and will not because I have other work and priorities, both professional and personal to take care of. So, Influencing people, making them do what you want them to do, but making them want to do what you want them to do is not, a, again, a manipulative or negative thing. This is a human skill that must be delivered in league with, in lockstep with the technologies you are using so that you do not get trapped into back-to-back -back meetings through sheer passivity or lack of awareness of your own personal power. Now, but that's interesting, isn't it? Um... Two different things there. One, which is that we know in menus as well, that the second cheapest bottle of wine is the most profitable. So we're actually using, we are using a manipulation, manipulation strategy. And I see nothing wrong with manipulation. It's just a word, I think, which has too, too many negative connotations. But you're interest, well, it's interesting, going back to the, the meetings and the time and technology and such like, because what you see deployed when you're an employee and you have a manager who then and railroads through the technology so they use a different form of technology or they will they'll ring you up or whatsapp you or, or they'll do different things because what they do is they they're sort of recognizing that you know you can't book an hour out of your lunchtime every day because there's, all, there's always a way around that 
and there's almost like a new power play going on around time and access. In the office, it was easy because you could use physical presence. But now what you're doing is you're using the manipulation of technology to actually access people. And I think that's what's really interesting. So technology was democratizing at one stage now, but I see it much more as a sort of, um, as almost a power mechanism. I don't know what you think about that. I might just be baloney, I don't know. No, not at all. But I do think there was similar uh, challenges in the workplace because like email, for example, you know, people send you a whole bunch of emails and then wonder why you haven't responded back. Hmm. You know, I sent it five minutes ago. Why haven't, why haven't you replied? And so there's a speed of expectation that has grown again, along with the speed of the information flow that we see all around us at every television, every monitor, everything that we, we see around us. Um, to which I would say, well, the, the secret there, whether you're working in an office or from home, is to give people, manage, them their, manage their expectations for them. I might say to you that I always respond to my email messages by the end of day or yeah. within three hours. So I'm giving you something tangible to hold on to because people will always turn to their own frame of reference if, if their expectations are not, not met immediately. So if I can say to you, again, face-to-face -face when we speak or maybe through my out-of-office assistant um, re automatic response on my email system to say, you know, hi, this is, I'm glad to hear from you. Be aware that I always respond to my emails by the end of day. You will be taken care of before 5 p.m. And as, so long as I can budget my time to fulfill that promise, I can condition people to love this, this kind of service. Once again, mm -hmm. a restaurant menu structure. So I do believe that people need to... We need to, to give people the, the comfort to step away from the fear of the unknown. You know, the people, if they don't get a response back, then the instinctive response of fear of the unknown comes in. When I speak to my clients in, in keynotes and so on, I speak, for example, about the, the soccer pitch uh, analogy that I use, which is, you know, imagine you're back in high school and secondary school and you're back out there on the soccer pitch, at, you know, in, in a frosty November, December morning like now. And the, the, the teacher says, one of the two following things. And I ask people, which of these two is the lesser of the two evils? The coach either says, go out there and give me 12 laps around the field. Or the coach says, go out there and start running until I tell you to stop. Mm. And as you might imagine, what would you think, Russell? What's your preferred lesser evil here? I, I mean, personally, I wouldn't be on the football pitch in the first place. <laughs> but uh, I'd go until, until the person stopped. Tell yeah, me so, to stop. So, to tell you to stop. Okay. Uh, most people will go the other route and say, I prefer the 12 laps mm. because the 12 laps is going to be a finite yes. uh, burden. And again, instinctively, your body is always measuring how much energy is reserved for emergencies, you know, for self-preservation. This is fundamental Maslow's hierarchy stuff, just fundamental self-preservation. So you tell me 12 laps, I can handle 12 laps. It's a known commodity and I can do that. Whereas if you tell me just to run until whenever, uh, yeah, my body is going to start to say, well, how much energy should I use on this? I may need to, to keep some. So the majority of people are going to be much more comfortable with a known rather than an unknown commodity. Yeah. And I want to translate that into my working relationships, telling you when you can expect satisfaction from me, even if it is not immediately now, Bad news is better than no news. So the bad news, even though it's not super bad, is, yeah, you'll hear from me by five o'clock today, or I'll schedule a 15-minute call with you tomorrow by Zoom, and we can discuss this. So now you've got something to hold on to, uh, and that's what your instinct needs to, to feel comfortable. And, and, and I agree. There are lots of jobs where that's possible, but there's also a ton of jobs where that's not possible. So you might have someone in a customer contact center who, who literally – is once the once the once the phone goes down or the you know, the Zoom call finishes, the next one starts, and and actually they ha they don't they don't get time, 
or you know what you've got is you work in a, in a culture which is customer driven so you have to be you know immediately available or you're working in a power culture where basically the boss says yes i sent you an email five minutes ago where is it but that's still the same still the same and even if you're working from home what they're doing is they're you know they're saying what with one hand we're interested in well-being and looking after you and make sure you go out for a walk but you know make sure you know that you're allowed to go for a walk because you can use your mobile phone and you don't have to be on zoom and that's that's the that's the sort of the false relationship now between time i mean basically people are using their time all the time at work whereas before there were natural rhythms of the day i mean there were not you know it was possible but remember Trevor when at work he's got the toilet I remember when that used to be free time and now it's, you know, it's like, <laughs> unless you've got your WhatsApp working at the same time, there's no, there's no toilet time anymore. So that's right. And I think, and I think we're, we're actually seeing technology returning us to almost like, um, like an industrial revolution stage, you know, where we have the factories yeah. and you have lots of factories working from uh, factory workers working from home as drones yeah. Um you know, literally fulfilling a small part of a process without being able to see the greater, you know, the, the whole of the process. And also what you have now is a very interesting problem here where people are joining organizations and they've never engaged with the culture. They've never actually physically been in an office with people and engaged with the, with the reason people might want to work there. And so, so technology is fascinating because it's also, it's, it's, I mean, it was always used to keep people down as well as to raise people, wasn't it? Uh, you know, information was power, was, was meant to liberate people and it was used, you know, in, in, in an alternative way. And I, and I, and I think technology is working that way. And I wonder if part of our change resistance is that we, we lose more and more control the more technology, and I'm doing the parenthesis here, enables us. And I wonder if that's part of our sort of increasingly um, prevalent change resistance. It is. And uh, there's a number of points you mentioned in there. And going back to sort of the first one, there, there are people who are what I would call frontline workers or firefighters, even if they're not literally fighting fires. And frontline people who are taking, you know, the reception desk, taking calls, call center people, anybody who's got a very, very continued workflow. Uh, who might not fit into the concept that I just shared, except that they do, they can, they will. And that's because it's a matter of how these, these jobs are defined as times on and times off. I use real, t- real life uh, frontline healthcare workers as an example. You know, there are rules of triage for processing multiple casualties. There are rules for time on and time off, which is supported largely by their union, which again is an offshoot from the industrial revolution mm. that didn't like seeing all its employees getting killed from overwork. There are ways, one of my most fascinating uh, sessions I ever gave was to a group of construction workers. These are people in, you know, hard hats and boots who put um, uh, air conditioning units on top of buildings. And I could see from their body language, they didn't want to hear from somebody who had never worked on a construction site in their life, which was me. So I brought on one of their senior people who's in his 60s and who was able to deliver the reality that I was trying to share is that even as as busy as you may be on a frontline construction site with, with trucks, lorries coming in every minute of the day, you have the capacity to hand over that work to your second person when you go back to the trailer and do some other administrative work. You have it. It's a matter of whether you choose to use it. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest strongly the same thing for even frontline workers. There are structures to the day that you can put up as ramparts against this, this hamster wheel mentality, which is easier to, to dictate and easier to accept by people, but is far less healthy. So... I would suggest that for those kinds of people, yes, it's a different type of work, but it's a work that also can be structured in a way that allows you time on and time off. Because ultimately, 
the quality of the work you do as a frontline person is based on, once again, your capacity for rhythm and mental clarity, uh, because that's what you're being hired to do. Uh, again, in, on sh uh, factory floors, that is why unions were created, to give people mandated breaks. And most ironically of all, the machinery itself gets, gets the most breaks because we don't want those to, to break down and stop working. Mm. The second point I would want to say to you there with regards to the always-on manager who's constantly demanding, demanding of you and, and making life very difficult. Boy, I, this is where I sort of um, put my cards on the table and say, if this is a person that is making life hell, then perhaps you may want to think about going somewhere else. And that is, that's my personal opinion. Very, many people are very afraid of leaving their current job because they have financial obligations. And so the hell they know is better than the hell they do not. But I would, again, in the spirit of resiliency, say that there's never been a better time to be career mobile than this era we're in right now. There are so many jobs, whether it's another career job or a freelance thing, which by the way, a lot of freelance work turns into permanent work once you show people what you can do. Uh, the capacity to find this work through sites, not just like LinkedIn, but some of the, the better work sites are, that are out there, means that people have a far greater capacity for personal career mobility than they have been led to believe. And I'm one of them. I, I tell people I've been looking for work for 30 years. The yeah. thing is I keep finding it because once you, you, know, you work your network and you know how to do this, it's like being a wolf. You know how to hunt down your meal because you are, your instincts have been you know, continually sharpened rather than dulled by, by the, the comfort of a, a biweekly paycheck. Mm. So I don't want to sound overly provocative other than to say that, you know, given the theme of this presentation in terms of resiliency, I would say that career resiliency and the capacity for mobility and the fact that there is no stigma, you know, our parents may have had the stigma if you were fired at the age of 40, you know, what was wrong with you? What did you do wrong? But whenever I ask anybody of any age from 11 years old to 65 years old, you know, what do you want to do next? It isn't a matter of what you want to do as a career. What do you want to do next after that? Mm. Because the abilities are out there. And once again, going back to the future of work concept of before, the statistics from people like the World Economic Forum and, and the number of high profile consulting firms like Ernst & Young and KPMG are saying that it's very likely that within uh, 10 years, 2027, so less than 10 years now, 50% of the workforce, at least in the US, is going to be freelance. Okay, so you go from a, a word that was kind of pejorative of somebody who couldn't hold down a, quote, real job yeah. to the fact that the, the dynamic ability to, to sell your services to the most attractive bidder uh, is in your hands. Once again, you have the control here. And that's what I think is in a remarkable hallmark of resiliency is as individual workers as we are, you have that capacity for career mobility more than any, any generation before us. And that, to me, is empowering. And I... And well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you get the the dual examples of that. So you get the lack of protections, you get the lack of uh, benefits and such like, and you get this sort of slight slave slave sort of context yet there, uh, where basically you're constantly running around looking for you know low paid work in a gig economy. Uh, but but also there's the other side of it, which is this high value work, which is you know which you can pick and choose. Um, but I'm guessing that the though that that creates a move away from sort of technical authority to something that you were talking about earlier, which was sort of digital literacy. Um, and I'm guessing that becomes the new commodity that, that you trade. So do you want to expand a bit more on that if you would? 
It's interesting how you bring up the word slavery in that because uh, the, the perception that going into a, a freelance um, market immediately condemns you to accepting the lowest paid jobs uh, is, is a very natural first response. But a professional freelancer uh, knows to value his or her value and to find the work that you can accept. And I mean, outside of my day job as an expert in this stuff, I'm a musician in the evenings. I play uh, music for corporate events. And this is just something that I love to do and always have. And one of the rules that you, I, I like to teach other musicians in how to run their music business as well, because it's a similar kind of product. And this it it extends, of course, to the daylight working hours as well, is that if you accept $50 or 50 pounds for a gig, uh, you will always accept that. And you've got to split that four ways between the members of your band. You are condemning yourself to evaluating yourself to a very low level, even though you've spent 20, 30 years of practice to become a musician. If you hold out for the better paid gigs, they may be fewer uh, you know, than every Friday night at the local pub. But the value you provide uh, brings you into a different level of company. The people who are going to want to hire you is because they see that you value what you do. So I would never say that going freelance uh, condemns anyone to a particular kind of uh, lowest bidder slavery unless you let them do that. Well, um, just, just jumping in for a second. Now, this is fascinating um, because this is a raging argument, isn't it? Because you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm an ex-musician myself and I we used to be a freelance player. And, you know, we used to go everywhere, do everything, take the work we wanted, all that sort of stuff. So I get your example. But I'm also linking it to um, zero hour contracts people who are courier drivers and basically they have to deliver they have no choice about what they do every every single bit of their work is time bound um, they get it wrong on a day they're fired and it's yes. it, so there is the technology sets us free but it always also does constrain us now I use the word slavery to be contentious for a second but there is a form of um, there is a form of um, if you don't have that digital literacy, if you don't have that um, skill that sets you apart, you, you run the risk of, of minimizing the choices available at your disposal. And I get choices. I, I'm all over that like a rash. That's all about, you know, my whole, um, you know, business model. Um, and I think it's about that, isn't it? If you're, a, if you're that driver, if you're delivering a washing machine, as we had done today, and you're completely moaning about you know, the whole, the whole process suck it up while you can and, and retrain and, and do the things that you need to do because you know we all of us have that wherewithal and our ability to weather the storm is part of resilience to get through to push through without burning out and i think this is a challenge you know it's and it's and it's having that thing um while you're coughing i'll just carry on um just to explain <laughs> Burnout comes from, the, you know, that idea of a job without meaning. But if your job is tedious and horrible, but you know it's taking you somewhere else, that actually gives the meaning and the purpose to where we're going. So, right. so, so I get it. But, but just to unpack digital literacy, liter digi di um, because I want, to know, I want to know that I understood that properly, properly earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we can take it right from this, because if you just simply take that delivery person who's mm. in that kind of lousy job doing that stuff one job at a time, mm. um, I would say, yes, OK, you've got to do that right now to, to stay alive. Understood. But recognize also that the, if you are interested in any other line of businesses that's sort of higher up in the, in the skill set, the education is out there and most of it is now for free. You know, yeah. if you want to learn how to code, for example, to write code, which is one of the biggest uh, hot areas to for employment right now, there are free online places everywhere to learn how to code. If you need to up your skills in mathematics or in, in geometry or in, in grammar, there are free things like the Khan Academy, which will, you can just take these courses. So digital literacy starts by recognizing that information now is not only yeah. universal, but a lot of what used to be just you know, expensive college or university courses is now free. And even outside of academia, 
digital literacy is about knowing how to keep pace with what's valuable in this world. And I always say that Twitter is one of the best sources for this. Most people will, will uh, you know, roll their eyes immediately when I say that because all they think about is the terrible abuses Twitter has uh, su supported even with certain high-profile politicians using it to their own ends. Mm. But amidst all of the, the junk and the garbage and the offensive stuff on Twitter, there are some smart people in your field or your next field who are posting tweets about their research or about developments in the industry. And it's interesting how this ties back to the slavery word from before because when you are working in a company and you're just simply, again, doing the nine to five stuff and you haven't got the time to learn any new skills, you become the one who is actually stuck in a slavery position, the wage slave concept. Yeah, uh, so when I teach, uh, for example, a room full of accountants and I talk about new techniques for forensic accounting, uh, and they'll say, where did you get that? Where did you know this stuff? Are you an accountant? And I say, no, but I'm on Twitter. And the thing is, as, as weird as that sounds, uh, if you follow people who are in the accounting business or in the, in the, the first responder paramedic business, you learn what's hot right now and what's happening. And that is the information that has the greatest value. You know, I can, I can educate myself on more about accounting or paramedics uh, along the line of that. But knowing what's hot and what's happening is a commodity unto itself. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So digital literacy is going to be largely about your ability to pull information from an ocean of information and non-information and use that to your ends, whether it's for educational purposes and career purposes, or as we said earlier, to separate out the, the garbage and the spoofed spam emails from the real stuff, to know how to basically pull that information in that's going to work for you. So totally right. Anybody who's trapped in one of those lousy delivery jobs, because that's all they have. Uh, I, I've been there. I mean, I had to do that when I started out as well. But the fact is, there is so much more available. If you can give yourself even an hour per day, you know, before you go to sleep at night, just to get online and do something and learn something to connect on LinkedIn with the people who are the referrers of good, talented people. Um, yes, there's some, uh, some gig sites online too that I have used, uh, like I think Upwork is one of the most common. Yeah. And yes, that is one of the, the lowest, uh, let's say, where, where people fight to the, for the lowest price things. Yeah. That's absolutely. But you don't have to take them all. There are, there's a few of these who are looking for something better than the lowest possible price. So you look at what your particular skills are and don't accept the lowest possible price, but look for the ones who are looking for something better. And you establish relationships both there and also on LinkedIn. So yeah, there's work involved here, but the, the mobility and the freedom, uh, I don't, there's never been a better time for this. And so going full circle back, I never want to be afraid of my boss or my customer. Uh, if they are a tyrant, they have the right to be a tyrant, but I don't have the obligation to continue to work for them. And that, that is my personal opinion, but it's kept me uh, alive and successful for 30 professional years now. And yeah. I, I, it does work. And, and, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, we have to keep saying that because people know it, but they don't hear it enough because what they hear is the constant, you know, drive to the and race to the bottom. Um, so you've mentioned this, this ability to sort the wheat from the chaff, the, the, the rubbish and such like. So do you have a method that allows that to do? Have you, have you got a book on the subject or information or a blog that people could go and have a look at and engage more fully with this? Oh, well, thank you. Very, thank you for that. I mean, all, all my stuff is on my website at steveprentice.com. And, you know, interestingly enough, well, I think it is anyway. Uh, if I was to give you my physical business card, my business card only has that. I don't put my phone number, email address, fax machine, which I haven't had for a long time. Um, there's just nothing on my card other than steveprentice.com. That's T-I-C-E at the end. And that's that because everything you need to know about me is there. So yeah, there's a blog, there's a podcast, there's... Um, 
or the information. This is what I do. This is what my passion is professionally is understanding this, not profiting off people, but sharing the knowledge uh, that I think is, is uh, everyone deserves to have. But in terms of, of just being able to separate the wheat from the chaff, I think step one for everybody is to know that we do have wheat and chaff. And you know, if you're on Facebook five hours a, a day, yeah, you've got to recognize that there are way too many people. Facebook, like many other things, was a reasonably innocent technology when it first started, even though it was about finding the best girls on campus, but it was still reasonably innocent and has turned into a media monster since. Um, but you can say the same thing about any major newspaper. I mean, who owns it? Who is the corporate uh, interest behind it? And what is their slant? What is their motivation? So it goes back to critical thinking to say, where do I get my information from? And honestly, I usually turn to one or two publicly funded news sources. There's one in North America called ProPublica. I mean, you can get it online anywhere, but I think it's based in, in North America. So it's, it's, it's funded by, by contributions. And so they have the old school journalists who live to dig yeah. up stories rather than serve uh, Disney or some major multinational that owns the media. So yeah, it's a matter of saying, yeah, there is wheat and chaff. And what a, my personal responsibility as an individual is to know that those two things exist and then how to question headlines that I see. And so in this era, of course, people are going to be questioning the validity of vaccines and vaccine distribution and all this kind of stuff. And there's all kinds of conspiracy theories. And unfortunately, human beings are very good at gravitating towards conspiracy theories because they're juicy and they provide an answer. Yes. Uh, and it's compelling. So I say, you know, the, the way to survive and to be resilient in this world, uh, and everyone can do this regardless of their level of education, and yes, regardless of their current job, is to recognize you are free to pull in the information, question it, and connect with others. You know, the more people you speak to, the more diverse opinions you're going to receive, which is not a source of confusion as it is a way of filtering. It's like the old Brazil nut thing. Have you ever heard of the Brazil nut feature where you have a bunch oh. of mixed bar nuts in a tin, and, uh, which you probably may get on, you know, on Christmas morning, and you shake it, you vibrate it on a vibrating platform, the Brazil nuts will always move to the top. Yeah. You know, they're the biggest and heaviest ones because of their density and because of physics. And you know, the wonderful thing about that is that physics, the physics of knowledge does the same thing, that knowledge will emerge if you shake it sufficiently. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that I just like to pursue. This is not uh, a product that you have to buy. It's just simply an attitude that you are free to accept if you wish, that you have the, the personal power to know stuff, K-N-O-W, to know stuff so that you can choose your career. You can choose your network of colleagues and professionals who can refer you that. I mean, again, my business has been in business since 1994, and I have never advertised. All my work is word of mouth. Uh, that's great. You know, it's cheaper, and it means that people are giving a personal endorsement to the quality of the work I have delivered and delivers further work. It can happen, and it's not a miracle cure. It, there's, there's, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And the idea here is the, the hard work is not trudging through the low-paid jobs uh, any longer than you absolutely have to, but investing some of your time on a daily basis to further your skills in the ways that I've described. And something as simple as Twitter, just finely tuned, you find the right people to follow, the smart mm. people, the good people, ignore the rest, and you immediately have 10 minutes a day of self-improvement right there. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of this, I said it was going to be something, and it has been. And uh, should we say that this was round one of this podcast? Because uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this; it's been absolutely fascinating. And uh, there's, we've 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 not even begun to scratch the um, the outside of Steve's uh, knowledge here and, and 
and really interesting um, approaches. So I'm going to say, Steve, it's been a joy to spend time with you today. And I, I want to be respectful of your time. And I know I've gone over the, the, the time I said, so I do apologize for that. Um, his site, as he said, was steveprentice.com. Uh, four interesting books, um, time management, stress management, some really great ideas, all sorts of resources. Um, you need to look, you need to check, check him out. I think he's fascinating. And he's Canadian as well. And he was born in Britain. So, I mean, what else do I need to say, Steve? It's been a joy to spend time with you today. Thank you so much for your time. It's a total pleasure. It's very invigorating and very exciting. And anytime you want to do it again, just let me know. I really, really had a great time, Russell. Thank Brilliant. you. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much. And you take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.